Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. Corinthians, I'll be reading verses 1 to 11 again, uh, this time focusing on the second half of that passage, verses 7 to 11. But before we go to him, uh, again, let's ask for his blessing upon uh, the reading and the reception and the preaching of that uh, word and the reception of that preaching. So let's go to him once more in prayer. Dear Lord, our, Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come again before you. Lord, we pray that you would settle our hearts and minds. Lord, calm our souls in our hearts as we hear. Lord, we do bask in knowing the privilege of your presence as we worship you together now as your people before you, our covenant Lord. We thank you that you are holy and that you purge out from us all that is unholy and unclean. That you are gracious and able to deal with us in our sin and in our filth. Father, we thank you that you are merciful and able indeed to lift us up in our weakness and our frailty and that you're strong and good and true and gracious. And we pray, Heavenly Lord, as we turn to you again and to your word and as we listen to every word that comes forth from your mouth, that you would place that word in our hearts, that there we may begin to love you in new ways. Place it in our minds that we may understand your ways better. Touch our wills by this word that we may submit our wills gladly to your perfect wisdom and sovereign will. That all of our life we may learn how to glorify you and enjoy you forevermore. And so we come again as your people and we ask, speak Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this all in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter, I'll be reading chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Once more, please give your full attention to the word of our God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in, at Corinth, which all, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort with which, which you experienced when you patiently endured the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. 
but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Glass, grass withers and the flowers fall, but this word of our God endures forever. <clears throat> well, as I was working through this text this week, <clears throat> I was wondering about all that's going on in our country and world, and uh, you know, I, I thought of asking you the question, how was your week? Was it good? Did you have a good week? Neither did I. Um, but right up front, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Do not be overcome with evil and fear and trouble and doubt and concern and dread, but overcome evil with good in our lives. You know, we have every reason to be excited about God's working in his creation and the roles to which he has called us to and that we can play in that work. We have every reason to be excited for those things. And as children of our Heavenly Father and those who are united to Christ, our Savior and King, we are to be light in the world. Right? That's our call, to be light in this world. This world so dark and so loving darkness. And you know, we have the very thing that this world needs so desperately. Right? The gospel of Jesus Christ and the peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. Uh, last week we began this passage and we looked at verses 1 to 6. And we saw that Paul opens up after his greeting. He gives a eulogy, right? A good word, a benediction about God. And he explains something of, what, of who that God is and why he is to be blessed and praised. And we are to ascribe blessing and praise to him. He gave a eulogy, then an explanation. And then this morning we pick up right back where what, with Paul he gives in verse 7. He begins an explanation. I'm sorry, an exclamation. An exclamation. Right? Again, remember in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Paul praises and he ascribes blessing to the Father, and then he tells us who this God is, something about him. He says he is the, in verses 3 and 4, he is the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. And what does this God do? He goes on, he, com he comforts us in all of our afflictions, in all of our afflictions. Why? He goes on, so that we may be able to comfort those in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then in verses 5 and 6, he goes on, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort also. If we are afflicted, it is for what? It is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort with which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Right? And this is the reason. Right? This is the reason Paul can be so sure and speak with such confidence about our hope in the next verse, in verse 7. This is why he can say, Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. The trials and sufferings that Paul has gone through have been difficult. They've been hard. They have been real. 
And through it all, Paul knows that just as Christ has upheld him in, the, in, in this ministry and in all the hurtful and harmful and cruel interaction with the Corinthians, he knows that Jesus will also uphold all those as well who suffer and hurt. This is what he is offering to them. And so therefore, what is Paul's hope? Right? What is it? He says it is unshaken, it is firm. Right? And this word, firm, unshaken, it's a word taken from the, taken from the banking world, the, world the, the language, it's a banking term. It refers to something that is reliable and secure, like a security. It's that which is legally guaranteed. It is secure, it is reliable. And Paul uses this very same word when he speaks in Romans 4, he refers to the promises of God. In Romans 4.16, he said, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Guaranteed. May be firm, unshakable, reliable, secure to his offspring. What is? The promises of God. Sure, unshakable, firm. Because of Christ's suffering, and because of Christ's resurrection from the dead, Paul knows that God will keep his promises. He will not back out. He will not fail. Paul knows why it is that every, be, every believer can bank on God keeping his promises. The apostle knows that just as God protected and delivered him over and over again, and comforted and encouraged him in all of his afflictions again and again, Paul knows that God will also do this very thing for the Corinthians and for each of us as well. It is his promise, and he has the power to do so. Again, verse 7, it's, it's kind of an exclamation, kind of a prayerful exclamation. Our hope for you is unshaken. You know, as we've studied the New Testament, we've studied the letters, we've seen that Paul very often, he makes his point, makes the theological points he's making by using examples. And very often he'll make, uh, he'll draw from the Old Testament, right? He goes from explanation to exclamation and then to an example, right? And again, many times he uses examples from redemptive history, from re the history of redemption, right? God's work among his people through time. But in verses 8 to 11, Paul refers to his own trials, right? In Asia Minor, he points them to what he went through while he was in Ephesus, Paul does this for a reason. And that reason is to point out that in the middle of these afflictions and struggling and trial and suffering, again, God, God what? He both promises to deliver and he has the power to deliver. Listen to what he tells the Corinthians in verse 8. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. And then he explains this hard situation that he was in, that they went through. He says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now I want to point out for a moment just how opposite this is, just how opposed this is. The Apostle Paul, the inspired Apostle Paul, preserved, taken down, given, preserved for his church. How opposite what Paul is saying here to much of what is taught it has been taught, that says if you, don't, if you have enough faith and you give enough, you'll see an end to all of your sufferings and all of your trials here and now. 
This is something that we hear, that we've heard historically, sadly, in the church. Right? The teachers change, the names change, the formulation may change, but it's a similar error. It's similarly just as wrong. Right? We never lose sight. We must never lose sight that the victorious Christian life is the life in Christ because He has won victory over sin and death. That's the victorious Christian life. It's not that somehow you've attained a level of sinlessness or something like that. Right? I think you would agree, Paul probably had pretty strong faith. Right? That, that's, that's a reasonable assessment, right? His faith was probably pretty strong. The apostle, right, an encounter with the Lord Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus before him, heard him, saw him, was called by him and sent by him. And what happened to Paul? Well, we heard in Philippians, and we read quite a bit about what happened to Paul. Quite a lot went on with Paul. Quite a lot, quite a lot of affliction and suffering. And here he tells us that the situation was so bad that they were so utterly burdened beyond their strength that they despaired of life itself. And we, should cons- we should also consider, dear Christian, we should also consider other unbiblical, distracting lies that we tell ourselves or that we hear from others that tell us and rant about things. Because neither our hope nor our despair should come from the things of this world. Far too many people place their hope and faith and trust in this or that political side or platform or movement or cultural press. We must not fall into the errors of either an American civil religion or an anti-American religious uh, social justice cult. Both are idolatrous. Both are non-Christian. We have to ask ourselves, dear Christian, what do you love? What do you love? Where is your heart? It's, a stat, it's, a, it's an arresting question we must consider. Is it more important to me that I reflect the love of Jesus or that I'm right about every cultural issue and to make sure that everyone knows that I'm right and they're wrong? There is so much to be outraged about, dear Christian. It's true. This world has been falling apart since the fall. It's true. But we have so, so much to be exhilarated and encouraged about. What better time to focus and to strip away all of the gross and really meaningless nonsense that has captivated us for so long and distracted us and taken our eyes off the cross and the work of the gospel in the world? What better time to dig in and grow in the gospel and to give out the gospel? So much of the world, you know, it's, no, it's not foreign to us, we know this. So much of the world is literally bound for hell. Have you considered that, brothers and sisters? Because, you know, it's not only the mercy and love and grace of God that should motivate us to tell others of Jesus and the only hope of salvation, but also God's wrath and vengeance should greatly drive as well as encourage us. We should be encouraged that we've been rescued and delivered from that wrath and vengeance. And it should drive us to pray for it and to tell others and to bring 
that world to Jesus and bring Jesus to that world. To hear of him, to hear from him, to be confronted by him. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. Very uncomfortable for most of us. But the gospel and the rescue offered by Christ is altogether better and altogether more glorious. It's altogether a far superior reason to get pumped up about and to be passionate about and get your blood pumping than anything in this world that this world has to offer. There are things here in this pilgrim life to be concerned about, no doubt. But we need perspective. We need perspective, brothers and sisters. We need to interpret all of this world's things in the light of the next world, in light of Scripture, what God tells us. It's an important call for us, particularly in times like that which we are in right now. We look back at the text and we see that whatever the apostle was going through, whatever it was in Asia that he encountered, it almost overwhelmed him. It was so overwhelming that he didn't know how he would live through it. Again, verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. The apostle thought he was done. And for you and I, brothers and sisters, there are seasons that we go through that make us feel like we are done. Like it's all over. Like a sentence of death is upon us. There are seasons here in this life from the world and its insanity, yes. From the enemy himself against us, yes. From our own flesh and failures and sin and guilt. There are times when we feel like we are despairing unto death. But as we've seen already in the text, and as we've heard already, the things in our lives don't happen without reason. They're not meaningless. The things in our life don't come, they don't just fall upon us out of chaos or randomness or by chance. You know, the great reformer said, fortune and chance are pagan terms with which the minds of the godly ought not to be occupied. I remember I was having oral surgery once uh, for a dental thing that I had, and uh, one of the nurses told me afterwards that I kept talking about fortune and chance and pagan terms in the minds of the godly. I had been reading Calvin's Institutes at the time, but that's it, right? That should be our reflex and our focus. Don't adopt the terms of the world and the thinking of the world and the lies of chance. It's not a chance universe. This is a, a, a strong and important biblical truth. This foundation, right? God is sovereign over all of his creatures and all of their actions, all of their happenings, everything that happens in our lives. He is sovereign. And this is important. I know that we know this. This is, this is key for us. But it's important because if we deny this truth, we damage the power and the sovereignty and the purpose and the effectiveness of the Lord, our almighty God. Right? Even that term, almighty, right? it's meaningless. If God is not in control and sovereign, we make him, if we deny that, not almighty. He's less than mighty. He's kind of mighty. He's not a kind of mighty God. He's an almighty God. We make him weak if we deny this, unable and inept. Right? This is important. It's foundational. It's important. It's important also because if we deny God's sovereignty in his creation, in all of creation, we wreak havoc on our own comfort and our confidence 
in this life and the next. Right? We find ourselves truly in despair and in terror and all that the world throws at us and all the turmoil and instability of the world and the politics and the nations and on and on. We find ourselves lost, lost and stunted in our faith and growth and in, growth and in our usefulness for the Lord. Like, can you imagine, right? you've all read through the Old Testament, the historical books, and the mighty acts of God. And the mighty acts of God that he did through David, his man. Can you imagine David's terror and the people's destruction if he denied God's sovereignty, if he doubted that God was sovereign? Of course, God's sovereignty, in his sovereignty, that wouldn't happen, and it didn't happen. But you get the point. Boldness does not attend or flow from doubt, right? Boldness flows from the knowledge of the certainty of what God tells us is true. And for us, if we are to grow and to be used and establish our lives in faith and truth and the joy of the Lord, we cannot doubt God's, doubt God's control over us, right? We must affirm it. Of course we are weak. Of course we doubt. Of course our faith is small. We pray for, for the Lord to give us more strength in faith. We grow and we develop to trust Him more through prayer, through Scripture, through the sacraments. And He grows us. He increases our weak faith and He increases our boldness. David was bold. He was bold. Shockingly bold when you read through the things that he did. And we, if we are to grow, if we are to be used and establish our lives in faith and in truth, we cannot doubt His control over us. We must say with confidence, dear Christian, what God's Word tells us again and again. The environment of all of Scripture is that the Lord is Almighty. He is Almighty God. And so Paul continues here and he tells us that at the end of verse 9, Right? Nothing happens without a reason. That's what he's saying. Listen to, what, listen to why they were taken to despair of life itself. Right Again, he says in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Second half. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Who, by the way, is what? God who raises the dead. Right? We rely not on ourselves, but on God. This God who raises the dead. The dead, and it appears that Paul had accepted the fa his the fact in this condition he was in in Asia. He had conceded that he was about to be killed, he was about to die. And remember, we'll read later in this letter where again he lists many of the afflictions through which he went, even as we heard in Galatians when he discussed who he was. But in those afflictions and in his sentence of death, as it were, in Asia. He continued in hope. Continued in hope. How was that? Why did he hope? Again, it's because Paul knew that the God in which he hoped is a God who raises the dead. He knew this because he saw the risen Savior with his own eyes. And this is the very same thing that we are to do, dear Christian. It's the very same thing for us. In all those trials that God brings to us, great and small, we must see that in those things we are to drive to Jesus. We are driven to rely upon God, this sovereign God, the almighty God who raises the dead. Through all of it, that's one thing that we learn is to flee to Him and to rely upon Him. 
And what did we just learn again about this God? I reread it. Well, he's the God that will come and comfort us in the midst of those very afflictions. Right? He is what? The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I mean, can you imagine, think for a minute about the horror of living in a world where sufferings have no purpose. What despair. How miserable. You know, I don't know how many of you have studied philosophy, but you read these philosophers, these atheistic, nihilistic philosophers, and the one thing they had going for them is they were at least tried to be consistent within their own worldview. And they were driven to despair and madness and very often suicide because they had to confront the reality that in their own worldview, there was no purpose in anything because that's what you end up with in a, God, a world without God. You know, sadly, there are some believers who think that afflictions are outside of God's control as well. Afflictions and suffering are outside of God's providence. But you know, they cannot escape that same despair and miserable conclusion of those who deny a reason for anything. But brothers and sisters, we know better. We know better. God has purpose. He is in control. That's not a source of confusion or conflict. It's a sort of great comfort for us because we know that He is good God. He is a good God. And he has reason for all that he does. Man's, man, uh, our sufferings, our affliction, they are not more sovereign than an almighty God. They are not. God is almighty, not kind of mighty. And so listen to the closing verses of this passage, verses 10 and 11. Right here we see, we, we, Paul shows how this terrible experience that he went through in Asia, how it prepared him to minister Amongst all these problems that he's going to, that he's going through in Corinth, right? In this example, he gives us faith's solid ex expectation, right? Faith's expectation, right? He says he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Beautiful words, right? You get it, right? If Almighty God could save Paul from this life-threatening danger, again and again and again he did, particularly from this one in Asia, then God could and will save him from the harsh and cruel treatment by the Corinthians. God's word here tells us to set our hope on Christ, knowing that He can and will deliver us, brothers and sisters. Right? That's a call and a promise. This is the ground, verse 10. God's power and promise to deliver. It's the foundation from which they are to pray about and through the very things that they are going through. And for us to pray about and through the very things that we go through. Right? This is such an encouragement for us. It's so helpful for us, this reminder. From 2 Corinthians. You know, we're this year we're making a deliberate and renewed focus on prayer. What a wonderful foundation here. At the start of this year, at the start of this letter, this series. 
a wonderful foundation and reminder that we are given. And notice that in it all, they can offer prayers of thanksgiving for the good that they have received, right? The fruit, this, this is the fruit of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Not denying sufferings, but it's the fruit and the benefit that's born out of, of sharing in those sufferings. And notice as we end this section, this passage, right, there are three points that we see about sufferings. Three things that we see about sufferings. First, notice that faith, our faith is real and true to life. Right? We don't pretend, like the teaching, teachers I mentioned earlier, that sufferings are simply the result of our lack of faith. We don't deny the afflictions and struggles that we go through. From the grueling battle of sin within us, to our relationships, to our health, to our societies, and on and on. In this life, we will and do have troubles of all kinds. We read it again and again and again, and again in Scripture. Indeed, from the lips of our Savior Himself, in this life you will have troubles. And so we acknowledge that in this fallen world, suffering is a reality of life. Suffering is real. That's the first thing. The second thing about sufferings we see is that uh, in our very real suffering, we can know that God has reason for our sufferings. He doesn't always show us every reason. But He does promise to encourage and to comfort us, comfort us in and through those sufferings. And part of that comfort is knowing what Jesus says next about the world's troubles. Take heart that He has overcome the world. Many times this, this comfort and encouragement that we receive in and through our sufferings, many times it is done through the ministry of others, right, of the body of Christ, through the comfort and counsel and love of your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. May we remember in life's trials these very things, to flee, to be driven to Jesus for mercy and for grace, and may we throw off the pride and discomfort and queasiness that we have so often and look to others for help. God has given us, He's born us into a family for one another, to help one another. No pretenses. No phoniness, right? And this is key to the whole passage. The comfort and the suffering and the affliction and the reason for it, the bearing out to comfort others, the growth, right? It's this... It's like this, 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 uh, this cycle that we go through for one another and ultimately for His glory. So we have suffering's reality and then it's reason and then finally, thirdly, suffering's revelation. Right? Paul doesn't lie to uh, in these situations. He doesn't pretend they're not real. He doesn't lie in order to make friends or to raise money. He doesn't deny the reality of trials. But he's certain that God has reasons and purposes for them. Well, what do sufferings reveal? Well, many things, I'm sure. Many things that we just won't know. But certainly, the suffering and afflictions that we go through, they reveal those things that we fear most. Like our own weakness. Like admitting, acknowledging the reality and the silliness, the unwise the childish and foolish pretense, pretense that, uh, uh, that we're strong. 
They reveal as well our lack of control of most things. I don't think you've thought about that much, but how much in this world, in your life, do you really have control over? What a comfort to know that God has control of it all. But these things, as we pray and grow and develop better reflexes in life, better reflexes in our afflictions, in our sufferings, these things should show us that God is not weak. He is strong. He is in control. Sovereign. Is almighty. May we, brothers and sisters, when we despair of life itself and feel like we can't go on, may you seek God's sustaining grace and mercies by looking to the sufferings of Christ and all that that accomplished. By fleeing to Jesus, by clinging to Christ for all of your life, in all. With Him there is safety and comfort strength and power. He is the one who what? Suffered all. Not merely despairing of death, but suffering death itself for you. He did it all for those who call upon Him in faith and trust Him for their very all. What does He call? The man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. He suffered and he died for our sins. And that sacrificial death was followed by what? By his glorious resurrection. And may we always remember, dear Christian, and take courage and comfort in the wonderful truth that because Christ's sufferings ended in victory, yours will too. That's the promise, brothers and sisters. What a wonderful, glorious, beautiful promise it is. Our lives will follow the pattern of His life because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. We're united to this man of sorrows. So we may, may we take these wonderful truths back into our lives and back into the world. May we see that all that the Lord has done for us, for His people, that He died, that we would live. Now let us go and live those lives for His glory and for the good of our neighbors, evermore praising Him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You, our almighty, sovereign, and loving God. We praise You for the way that You work, for Your wonder and love and great mercy, for Your faithfulness. Lord God, we do pray that You, as Your Word goes out, here and around the world, that it would have its full effect, that it would feed your people. Pray for those who suffer in our midst this morning. We pray that you would encourage them. Even by us, Lord, use us. We thank you that we can do so. Lord, we pray that we would avail ourselves to you and be of service, be sensitive to your calling in our lives, and sensitive to the needs of our brothers and sisters, and indeed this dead and dying world. May you grant us, as we endure, the comfort of your spirit and the peace that indeed transcends all human understanding. Give us, Lord, we pray, a true sense of the victory that is ours in Christ. Help us to see who we are in Christ, dead to sin once and for all. And Lord God, that we may live in newness 
of life. Help us here, Father, we pray, to have fat hearts filled with your love, overflowing, caring, loving one another. Work through us, we pray, to bear testimony to the love you've shown us in Christ and the comfort you've comforted us with, all to your glory. We praise you that you have fed us afresh this day with Christ, the bread of heaven, as we have heard your word to us, and as we will partake of the supper in a moment, we see that this is our life and sustenance, even in the midst of sorrow and difficulty and affliction and suffering. Father, we thank you and praise you when we pray, particularly this morning, for your people. Lord, we do pray for the Copland family. We pray for particularly Mike and Jane as they are uh, home and seem to have... Uh, an illness upon them, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them and restore their health. We do pray for the Coplins. We thank you for them, and all their service and their commitment to you and to your people. We pray that they would continue, you would uphold them in their focus on your word in and through all that they do. Lord, we pray for the Dant family as well as they are going through uh, an illness as well. Strengthen them, restore their health, give them comfort. Lord, we pray that you would give them wisdom and strength as they continue to seek to build and establish a home that honors and glorifies you, and that they would grow in Christ. Lord, we pray for Marion Deming as well. Lord, we pray that you would continue to comfort him, continue to give him trust in Jesus, his Savior, and his good purpose in all of his life. Father, we do pray for our missionaries as well. Lord, we pray that you would Bless them, that you would give them a sense of the wonder and awe and the magnitude of what you've called them to, Lord. Help them and all of your ministers, Lord. Encourage them. Help them never to lose that, 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 that great sense of their calling and your work and your wonder and your power. And we do pray that you would use them to bring many to Jesus, to bring many to life, that you would continue to expand your kingdom. Lord, we pray as we continue now that you would be with us, and even as we leave this place and go back into our worlds, that you would give us comfort, that you would give us perspective, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt your sovereignty and your power and your working in this world, that we would rely upon nothing, look to nothing else for our comfort and our safety and our rescue, but to Jesus, that one who has accomplished all of it. So we pray, Lord, be with us now as we continue to worship. We ask this all in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in this morning. Uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code, and you're in. 
Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.